The MLB trade deadline has finally passed, and I am here to tell you that it was a total dud for the San Francisco Giants, but also for the league as a whole. Yes, there were some big names traded, specifically Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, but I don't think that the structure of those deals made any sense for the Giants. And for the Giants, they end up with really one major league player here, A.J. Pollock, not the blockbuster that everyone was hoping for, but really that blockbuster wasn't out there to be had. You are Locked On Giants, your daily San Francisco Giants podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked on Giants, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. My name is Ben Kaspik, and on the show, we provide daily episodes Monday through Friday talking about the San Francisco Giants in a way that's data-driven and rational, but also simple, passionate, and accessible to all. I'm a former contributor for the baseball statistics and analysis websites Beyond the Box Score and Rotographs. I've been podcasting about the Giants since 2015, and I'm a lifelong fan. Thank you for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get podcasts, including YouTube. Check us out there if you have not already, and please hit that subscribe button, whether you're on YouTube or wherever you are. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONMLB for $20 off your first purchase. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. And coming up on today's show, it is pro, uh, post-trade trade deadline talk. And there, I don't want to say there's not much to get into because there's a lot to get into, but it's not. we're not here talking about, oh, the Giants got Justin Verlander and they got Tommy Edmond or maybe they got Eduardo Rodriguez. The, the last two guys there who I kind of pinpointed as my favorite targets for the Giants, Eduardo Rodriguez and Tommy Edmond, they were not even traded. Now, for Rodriguez, that's a huge surprise because he is a free agent at the end of the year. Well, he's got this opt-out, but he's very likely to opt out with the way he's pitching. And he uh, can't be given the qualifying offer, so the Tigers don't even have that option. Like, So he very well could leave for nothing. So the fact that even he wasn't traded, although reportedly, by the way, he had a deal, the uh, Tigers had a deal with the Dodgers for Eduardo Rodriguez, and Eduardo Rodriguez exercised his no-trade clause. He had a 10-team no-trade clause, and the Dodgers were on it, and he exercised it. So that might be the highlight of the trade deadline, that the Dodgers didn't get the guy that I wanted. And Edmund, I always said it was unlikely that he would get dealt, and he wasn't dealt. So it'd be different for me if, though, if you know, Rodriguez went to LA and Edmund went somewhere else, and the Giants didn't get those guys. But the the trade deadline was a dud. Like, don't let anybody really tell you otherwise. There were a couple of impact type players maybe moved when you talk about Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, but both of those guys look like they're past their primes. And the teams that got them gave up a lot to get them. And man, I mean, those guys are like 40 years old and showing signs of serious decline. And so I don't know. I just. The trade deadline was a dud, but for the San Francisco Giants, the news came down last night that they had acquired outfielder A.J. Pollock and utility player Mark Mathias. Mark Mathias, I got to make sure I have his page pulled up. I realize I didn't, but A.J. Pollock, like, okay, so 
he, you know, at first glance, I was like, are you kidding me? This is what the Giants, this is the kind of move that the Giants are making right now. But I regret to inform myself. I didn't want this to be true. But the more I dug into the guy, the more I understand the fit. And let me start, you know, some sometimes people like me are accused of being non-human in my analysis. Not really with me, but, you know, people who are into the numbers and whatever, you're like, you know, there's often the argument, you're not focusing on the human element. Well, the human element exists here in that A.J. Pollock, I didn't really know this, but it's just considered a great clubhouse guy, like great, great, double plus clubhouse guy. And there are a lot of connections here with current Giants because Pollock played for L.A. from 2019 to 2021. And so that crosses over with Jock Peterson, of course, Ross Stripling. And I know I'm forgetting somebody from that uh, Alex Wood on those Dodgers seams. And also he played with Mitch Hanniger for a little bit in Arizona. Pollock, very familiar with the National League West, very familiar with Oracle Park. He, you know, came out and said, this is a quote, courtesy of the beat reporters who talked to him today. It's a cool team. It's a cool fan base. I've admired this club for a long time. So I'm excited to be here. And he's going to be in the lineup tonight. He was on the IL with a hamstring issue, but he is supposedly going to be activated tonight. So there will have to be a corresponding move. Some have speculated that it would be Luis Matos, but I actually think it's more likely going to be Isan Diaz, who was called up yesterday uh, with the with uh, Mike Yastrzemski going on the injured list with another hamstring issue and he's going to be out two to three weeks so all the more reason they went out and got an outfielder in Pollock and the thing about Pollock one thing I really didn't realize like when I think of him I know that he's older he's 35 and a half years old and I just assume like broken down can't run can't really defend well anymore but on the contrary the dude has 89th percentile sprint speed still on the season, this is what I'm saying when I say the more I dug into it, the more I understood the fit and actually am kind of intrigued. So he runs really well. He has a really good throwing arm. The defensive metrics aren't great, but I don't totally understand why when you run well. Could just be, I mean, they're actually okay this season, but no, they've been good. I mean, in his career in left field, plus seven defensive runs saved, including plus four this season, plus one out above average. So I don't know exactly what I'm talking about when I say the defense hasn't been great. I was, yeah, I mean, plus 29 defensive runs saved in his career in the outfield. But obviously he's older. But like I said, he's still running better than uh, better than 89% of the rest of the league. And so... That's interesting. And also Pollock does. Okay. So let me, before I just make it sound like it's all cherry and gum, cherries and roses and gumdrops, he's struggled this year in 59, 49 games with the Mariners. He hit 173, 225 on base, 323 slugging, a 51 weighted runs created plus. And that's a huge reason why. Uh, he comes out to negative 0.5 fan graphs wins above replacement. Now, the good news is you can't fully judge a player in 49 games played. 
Last year wasn't great either, but in 2021, that was his last good year. He was really good. He he had a 137 weighted runs created plus, hit 297, 355 on base, 536 slugging. So he's kind of more so known as a player who hits left-handed pitching, but in his career against right-handed pitching, and I know we kind of got to look at the more recent history because he's had a long career, but career against right-handed pitching, 107 weighted runs created plus, strikeout rate under 20%, 271 average, 329 on base, 443 slugging. Those are solid like career numbers, let alone against your, you know, weak side of the platoon matchup and against left-handed pitching in his career even better a 121 weighted runs created plus a strikeout rate under 16 percent 277 average 327 on base 511 slugging but i think it does it is important with a guy who's older especially and who has a long career to look at more recent history so let's go back to 2019 19 20 we could go back to 2020 but 2020 was such a short year i want to count 2019 whatever that's what i'll do for now i'm not cherry picking i just chose that off the top of my head but against left-handed pitching since 2019 pollock has a 129 weighted runs created plus 279 batting average 327 on base 532 slugging it's a 252 isolated power. These are all great numbers. Strikeout rate of 18.4%. And lastly, against right-handed pitching since 2019, about league average. So that's kind of cooled down over the course of his career, hitting 252, 307 on base, 427 slugging. Strikeout rate of just 20.7%. So he's not a guy who's going to strike out. And I think that that helps the Giants, who have had their issues with strikeouts for sure this season. So like I said, I'm kind of disappointed that the more that I'm only disappointed because I don't want to come across as someone who just likes every move, but you know, they gave up nothing essentially. I I didn't even say that yet. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to tell you what the Giants gave up, which was next to nothing. And we're also going to discuss why the Giants didn't upgrade their pitching at this trade deadline. It was so long a topic of conversation, but they ultimately didn't do it. Why didn't they do it? And where do things stand now? We'll get into it in just a minute. And before we do, this episode is brought to you by Game Time. Buying tickets to your favorite event shouldn't have to be a stressful event in and of itself. Whether you're going to an upcoming Giants game or checking out a concert or going to a play, buying tickets shouldn't have to be stressful. And for me, when I'm going to a new venue, one of the most critical things to me is oftentimes with previous websites, I'm not able to see What does the view look like from the seat, especially in baseball? You know, there's different tiers and levels. How high is this section? You know, like it doesn't show you in a 2D map the view from the seat. Like how high up are you, for example? Is there an obstruction in your way? With game time, those those fears are put to rest because you get images of seat views and another thing that always stresses me out but but doesn't anymore with game time is the game time guarantee which means you'll always get the best price if you find tickets in the same section a row for less game time will credit you 110 percent of the difference so snag the tickets without the stress with game time download the game time app create an account and use code locked on mlb for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code 
Locked on MLB for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, as promised, we are going to get into what did the Giants give up? I didn't even mention that for AJ Pollock. It's not a major move, but as I kind of outlined there, there are things to be excited about, especially, you know, given the state of the team right now. I'll explain what I mean by that as well. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. Today was a little bit late. I was waiting for trade deadline news. None came down. So glad I waited all day for that. But yeah, the Giants play the D-backs tonight after a disappointing loss last night. Really disappointing. Zach Gallon, a tough customer on the mound for Arizona. And you can catch every pitch of the Giants' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Giants. So... A lot, a lot to get into here. What did the Giants give up for A.J. Pollock? Also, Mark Mathias, uh, who was optioned to AAA, and he's a utility player with 189 plate appearances in his major league career, in which he's had an above-average weighted runs created plus, and he plays multiple positions. So they like him too. But what did they give up? They gave up cash or a player to be named later. That, that's the trade. And so we won't know. Sometimes the player to be named later can be decent, but the fact that it's cash or a player to be named later suggests to me that the Giants aren't giving much up much here for Pollock, which also does speak to the limited value of an A.J. Pollock. But the Giants, I don't know how much cash the Giants are taking on in this deal. Pollock is on a one-year $7 million deal that's two-thirds already paid for. And also the Mariners are sending cash in the deal, which is really odd because the Giants might be sending cash in return. I don't know. It's a weird, weirdish trade, but all the Giants connections, the fact that Mike Yastrzemski goes on the injured list, the fact that the Giants have had so many times, it's not just like, oh, you can't have lefties facing lefties. I don't believe that. It's like when you have though platoon type lefties like Jock Peterson, who has a whole career's worth of data saying he really doesn't hit lefties well. And really, honestly, if you talk about, oh, just watch the game, do it with your eyes, not a spreadsheet, watch Jock Peterson have an at-bat against a lefty. He tells you with his swings, with his body language, with his many bunt attempts, he's not even comfortable in the box against a left-handed pitcher. So it's no surprise He's not comfortable against a lefty. And so having another righty right now, especially when you lose Mike Yastrzemski, who's a lefty, so maybe not especially, but they've had a lot of left-on-left exposure in their lineup lately. And adding another right-handed hitter like Pollock, and especially one who's dangerous. He has not done well this year against left-handed pitching, but I would just bank on that he's a threat. Anytime he comes up there against a lefty, You look at Kike Hernandez and Ahmed Rosario, two guys who were traded to the Dodgers this deadline. Similar story. Kike Hernandez has been terrible, and yet the Dodgers went out and traded for him anyway. And yeah, so I guess now that that's been discussed, let's turn our attention to the pitching. Why didn't the Giants address their pitching? And so I've received a lot of questions about this already on Twitter. I've got a million responses because there are a million different questions. One of the common 
questions or statements is like, how what is going on? The Giants only have two starters. And my response to that is that they actually have seven guys who could be starters and or have been starters in the recent past, including like this year at times. And so it's not like they just absolutely don't have that kind of pitcher. They just are choosing not to use them in a traditional starters role. And it's also somewhat hard to argue that it's a that it's like a bad call because they are 14 and five now in in bullpen games. And so, you know, using an opener and then going to whoever it is, whether it's Alex Wood or Sean Manaya or Ross Stripling, it's not really hurt them that much. And and you might say, well, Stripling and Manaya are absolutely dreadful, but you know, this was something I posted independent of the trade deadline. Remember that outing in Minnesota when Sean Manaya, to me, it was like the first outing that he had where he really showed what he could be in that kind of bullpen long relief role. It was in Minnesota in May. I forget exactly the date, but he went three and a third or three and two thirds or three. I forget exactly again, but he struck out eight. I know that. And since that day, guess who's number one in all of major league baseball in fielding independent pitching minimum 40 innings. So that's going to include like all starting pitchers and any relievers like Manaya who have reached 40 innings. Well, I think you probably can guess number one in fielding independent pitching since that date, which spans, I mean, it was multiple months ago. We're not just talking about, oh, two weeks. We're talking June, July, at least two months. And I forget the exact date, but two plus months, he's number one in fielding independent pitching. A lot of that is home run related. He's the only guy with at least 40 innings who hasn't allowed a homer and homers are a big part of fielding independent pitching. And so that would change if he gave up a homer or two or more, you know. And But however, he's 12th in strikeout rate among all those qualified pitchers. I think there are like 137 pitchers who have at least 40 innings since that date. And he's 12th highest in strikeout rate. He's also 12th best in strikeout rate minus walk rate, which is like a really uh, key and predictive metric. And so Sean Manaya. He was great the other day against the Red Sox. I'm not sitting here saying, therefore, they didn't need to do a darn thing and Sean Manaya is going to lead them to a World Series title. But I am saying, like, that stuff matters. And he's actually low-key got some real tools and ingredients there that he's putting on display out of the pen. Command has been an issue at times, except it's not so bad. If you look at the walk rate over that span, it's not like it's super high. If the strikeout rate, the strikeout rate is like 29% and the strikeout minus walk rate was like 22 point something percent. So I think his walk rate is like six point something percent during that span, which is not high at all. So he's been effective. And so he's been able to give you length in a non-traditional role. And also Ross Stripling has been much better since coming off the injured list over the last month or so, or whenever exactly it was that he came off the IL, he's been pitching much better. And they also brought Tristan Beck back onto the roster and he's been pitching well all year. 
And they have guys in the minor leagues like Kyle Harrison, who made a rehab appearance coming off this hamstring issue that he had. He's pitching again, and he was dominant in a little short stint in Arizona. And so I think he's going to factor in down the stretch. And also Keaton Wynn had an elbow issue, but it turned out to be just inflammation. He's going to rest, but I think in September and potentially beyond, they view him as a guy who can take down innings. And then not even to mention... A guy like Alex Wood, who's been a starter for most of his career. And so they have the the guys to give them the length that they need to get through games, but it's non-traditional for sure. And like if you just gave me Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer for free, do I think they would have made sense for the Giants? Yes. But in the structures of the deals that they were traded in, I don't think it made sense. And I'm gonna explain why in just a minute. And the reason is the Giants would have had to give up more than they would have wanted to, simply put. Because as I predicted, that's that was the Mets' main priority, and they had to do some crazy things to get there. So we'll explain what they did and what it means for the Giants and their young players in just a minute. And before we do... All right, as promised, we're going to get into the reason... It didn't make sense to go out and get Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer, given the deals that got made. Again, if you just gave me a, if you just said you can have these guys, even just for money, then I would say, yes, they should do it. But it wasn't just for money. Thanks again for making Lockdown Giants your first listen every day. Every day is tomorrow on the show. We're going to be breaking down. Uh, post-trade deadline kind of reaction. I'm sure we'll have some like Farhan Zaidi, Gabe Kapler player quotes, hopefully talking about a win. It's going to be tough with uh, Zach Gallon on the mound for the D-backs. Alex Cobb may be going to start today. He was already pushed back because of he because he's sick, and so it's not entirely clear if he's even going to start tonight. Giants play the D-backs at 645 Pacific, and you can catch every pitch of the Giants' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app, Search Giants. So, I just want to be clear, like I said, like why you might say Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer got traded. Why didn't the Giants trade for these guys? Well, the reason is, as I speculated multiple times on this show, I thought the Mets' incentive was going because they have an owner who is like crazy willing to spend money and so they weren't looking to just like shed payroll here they what their clear incentive was based on the deals that got made they wanted to pay as much as they could to get the best possible prospect return that they could and so they ended up paying huge portions of the remaining salaries of each of those two players Scherzer and Verlander like huge portions. They're paying the majority of the salaries and they're and they're paid hefty salaries, like $43.3 million a year, which is like the most anybody's making in the sport. They're both making that for this year and next year. And they're like 40 years old and showing signs of decline. So that's why I've said no team would even have taken on that contract. If the, if the Mets had just DFA'd them, they wouldn't have been claimed. They would have cleared waivers because they were such underwater contracts. So, in fact, the Mets did what they probably should have done, what was best for their organization. They paid a lot in order to maximize the prospect return. And in both cases, they got guys 
who were considered to be like mid top 100 prospects for these players who I think are showing clear signs of being past their primes and are signed for multiple years when they're only going to get older. Verlander could be there till he's 42. And so it's not a perfect, it's not like you're getting peak Justin Verlander. That's kind of a different animal. You're getting 41, 40, 41, 42 year old Justin Verlander. And so in a vacuum, like if you're just talking about the player, yeah, I want the player. But if you're talking about you've got to give up a mid top 100 prospect, guys who have fallen into that category for the Giants recently, you know, it depends on the publication that you're looking at. But, you know, Marco Luciano by Fangraphs, they have him at like number 77. So according to Fangraphs publications, the Mets got more than a Marco Luciano level player for each of Scherzer and Verlander. Other publications like MLB Pipeline have Luciano 15th. And so not they don't always all agree. But, you know, whether it's Bailey or Matos, and, and again, some have those higher, some have those lower. So it depends on who you ask, really. But someone like that, Bailey, Matos, Luciano, I think Harrison's kind of generally ranked a little bit in more in like the top 20 or so, but still I would throw his name into the mix there. Carson Wisenhunt, if he wasn't dealing with this elbow injury for sure, would have been a guy in that mix. And so is it worth giving up one of those players for these like 40 year old pitchers who are showing signs of decline? I don't think so. I don't think that's the position the Giants are in. I think they're just better off holding on to the guys they have. Like I said, they have pitching. And and if you go to May 1st, which is three months ago, the Giants are second in Major League Baseball in earned run average. They're first in fielding independent pitching. So it's not like their pitching is in shambles, despite the fact that it's definitely unorthodox. Their pitching is second in ERA in Major League Baseball for the last three months, despite the two starters or whatever, you know? So, look, I would have liked some more stability when you're looking at a postseason series. I don't know what that's going to look like, but I would hope somebody's established themselves as a, like, just clear-cut rotation guy by that point. We shall see. No more trades can go down. But I do think... Ultimately, the the quiet deadline for the Giants does speak to their confidence and belief in and like commitment to a lot of their young players, because this means like think of all the talk about middle infield depth and all that. Yeah, they got this Matthias guy, but I think that this means you're going to get an extended look at a Marco Luciano, whereas, you know, this is what I'm saying. Feel free to tell me who you think got traded a guy who actually got traded, who was a perfect fit for the Giants that they passed up on. You could make a case for Jordan Montgomery, but I really, I've said this before the deadline, before he was traded, I viewed him more as a mid-rotation starter that wasn't like a super clear upgrade over some of their other mid, a little bit of an upgrade, but I'm not sure it was worth giving up talent to bring in a guy like that. Maybe, but he's kind of the only guy perhaps and it was still it would I wouldn't be like doing cartwheels if they got Jordan Montgomery personally but I honestly forget where I was going with all that if uh, something about tell me uh what trade you think they should have made because 
like in the middle infield, Par- Paul DeYoung. That's one I was thinking of. Some people might say Paul DeYoung, but really, I mean, you're going to play Paul DeYoung, who's a perfectly like mediocre kind of player over the upside of a Marco Luciano. And I think you've got decent depth there with Crawford. And then, of course, Tyro could play some short. He's close to coming back. Hanniger's close to coming back. Matos will continue to play. They didn't push him out of the mix. I don't think Pollock takes Matos's place. I think, like I said, it more so takes right now they've got Isan Diaz, they've got Casey Schmidt, and they've got Marco Luciano kind of all in that middle infield mix along with Crawford and Tyro coming back soon. So I think one of those guys probably goes for Pollock. By the time you're listening to this, that move has probably happened while I'm recording here, like who the corresponding move is to add Pollock to the roster. I'm guessing Isan Diaz, even though he's the only lefty kind of second base option right now with Brett Wisely also being optioned. But I think it's a vote of confidence in Casey Schmidt, Marco Luciano, Luis Matos, uh, Keaton Wynn, or excuse me, Tristan Beck, but also Keaton Wynn and also Kyle Harrison. All those guys figured a factor in down the stretch. Could the Giants have gotten better? Theoretically, yes. Were there moves that, that could have helped them? Theoretically, yes. Did those moves actually transpire at this trade deadline in Major League Baseball? I'm not convinced at all that they did, given what it would have cost. Not just, not, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about giving up a Luis Matos type for a 40 year old pitcher showing signs of decline type of move. Something like that. Does that make sense? I don't think so. Anyway, let me know what you think. I know people are going to be disappointed just to be dis, just because you wanted something. And I get that. And I, I totally get it. But really look through the, all of the trades that happened and what it cost. Read the analysis on MLB Trade Rumors and tell me if you think that would have made sense for the Giants. I don't think so with pretty much anyone. Am I, I'm disappointed, but the moves just weren't there. Like, I wanted Tommy Edmond. He didn't get traded, so I'm not going to sit here and complain about not getting Edmond when nobody got Edmond. Anyway, that is all the time we have for today. Thanks again for making Locked on Giants your first listen every day. Every day or tomorrow, we're going to be getting back to some baseball. We'll We'll discuss the first couple games here. Big, big game. Giants need to get back on track, get the bats going. It's going to be tough against Zach Gallen. We'll see if Alex Cobb can go. We'll see what the corresponding move is for activating A.J. Pollock. Giants play the D-backs tonight at 645 Pacific. You can catch every pitch of the Giants' hometown broadcast with SiriusXM on the SXM app. Search Giants. Once again, my name is Ben Kaspik. Check me out on Twitter at Ben Kaspik, K-A-S-P-I-C-K. If you like this show, please consider rating it or leaving a review. It helps me out a lot. So thank you in advance. And thank you to everyone who's done so already. I can't wait to be with you again tomorrow. Thanks again for listening. You are now Locked on Giants.